Welcome to the Join My League Football Podcast with your host, Tim Coleco. That is me. I am your host, Tim Coleco. Welcome to the Join My League, a football podcast by a fan for a fan. We are already at episode number three, and we're just a little more than two weeks away from the start of the NFL regular season. I, for one, am stoked. We're just biding time right now, these last two weeks of preseason. However, as boring as preseason is, there's also loads of rumors and interesting storylines to follow this time of year. And the uh, the first thing I'm going to get into is a couple of different scenarios involving two really good players whose names keep coming up in trade talk around the league. Uh, The first one is pretty obvious. His name is Khalil Mack, pass rusher out of Oakland. Uh, He's currently holding out for a new contract. Nobody knows what the end result will be in the current stalemate between Khalil Mack and the Raiders front office, but I did do some research, seeing if I could find anything, any new updates, any trade suitors, anything like that. I couldn't find anything. However, what I did find was a quote from former longtime Eagles president and Browns CEO Joe Banner on possible draft pick compensation for Khalil Mack. He's quoted as saying, I think the range is a 1-3-7 and seven on the low end to two ones on the high end. A lot also depends on how high the one is. Maybe it's a one and a two if it's fairly high enough, or two ones if it's lower. Maybe a team would be smart to include a one with a quality player, or a one, a middle pick, and a quality player. He, he's talking about Mac, is a, as good or better than any of the players we have seen involved in these kinds of trades. So that kind of gives you an idea of what kind of compensation the Raiders are looking at from somebody who's in the front office, who knows what it takes to make trades. Uh, Khalil Mack is currently scheduled to make about $13 million. So anyone who trades for him, they would have to immediately accommodate his salary. And if he isn't traded and he doesn't show up to play for Oakland this year, uh, year, if he continues his holdout into the regular season, he's going to have to forfeit a weekly check of $800,000. That's going to add up really quickly over a 16-game season. Something's got to give. But assuming the Raiders are approached with a reasonable trade offer, there's really only two, maybe three logical destination spots for Mac. And outside of Oakland, one of those potential landing spots is in Green Bay. The Packers have two first-round picks in the 2019 draft, one courtesy of the Saints, and since both of those teams, the Saints and the Packers, are considered playoff-bound for the most part, uh, the picks would likely land Green Bay somewhere in the 20s. And though the Packers aren't quite at the $13 million cap range, a restructured contract or two could put them in a position to land Mack. Not to mention, the Packers' defense should be desperate for a playmaker, you really got to do something to help out Aaron Rodgers. I'm going to get to that a little bit later, and I think I touched on that last week. Uh, So, yeah, they got to do something on the defensive side of the ball because you're really wasting Aaron Rodgers' career, the tail end of his career at that. Now, speaking of desperate teams, the Indianapolis Colts haven't had a quality pass rusher since the Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis days. Khalil Mack would instantly improve the defensive line and defense altogether should the, uh, should the Colts pull that trigger. Indy should feel desperate for a playmaker that isn't named Andrew Luck, and with loads of cap space and an additional second-round pick, the Colts might be able to make that trade happen. Another team that has cap space now to pay Mack, and they won't have to worry about restructuring any contract or anything like that, the New York Jets. 
they're not going to have to worry about paying a quarterback either anytime soon. And as I mentioned last week, they're in great shape regarding their salary cap heading into next season. Something else I mentioned last week, they could be a hot landing spot next year since their quarterback is showing such great promise a couple weeks into preseason. If they're able to land Khalil Mack, they'd be even hotter of a destination. Another player whose name has been coming up in trade talk around the league, this guy's stock has been on the rise since training camp started, and it keeps climbing as we get deeper into the preseason. His name is Teddy Bridgewater. Now, unlike Khalil Mack, these trade scenarios with Teddy, they're based solely off team needs. We don't know what it would take to acquire Teddy Bridgewater. We don't know what the Jets would accept for compensation. I can only assume, in my opinion, I think it might be somewhere between a three and a four, but nobody really knows. Uh, The Jets said they'll trade Teddy Bridgewater if the right offer comes along. That's about it. But I do know that one simple Google search of the word Teddy Bridgewater, uh, it brings up all kinds of different results as far as teams go. Cowboys, Giants, uh, the Jaguars. I've even seen the Eagles mentioned as trade, uh, trading candidates for Teddy Bridgewater services. That doesn't make any sense to me, and really neither do the other three teams. Uh, to me, there's only three teams that make sense to bring in Teddy. Let's start with the New Orleans Saints. Drew Brees turns 40 years old this year, and Teddy is only a month older than Carson Wentz. Teddy was still uh, learning the pro game when he went down with that devastating career-threatening injury two years ago. So he's still learning the pro game now. Who better to guide him than first ballot Hall of Famer Drew Brees? I think it's a match made in heaven. It would give the Saints a short-term backup option at worst, at least better than Tom Savage, or at best, a replacement quarterback post-Drew Brees. Another logical team that makes sense to me, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, their quarterback situation is no longer clear. I hope they realize that. Uh, Jamie's Winston was thought to be the future But that dude cannot get out of his own way. He's going to miss the first three regular season games via suspension due to sexual assault. And that's far from the first issue that Winston has had since his college days at Florida State and probably won't be the last. Add in the fact that, to put it bluntly, James Winston, he really isn't that good to begin with. And trading for Teddy gives Winston immediate competition with somebody not named Ryan Fitzpatrick. Bridgewater can be a successful long-term starter in this league starting today, right now. And you know you're not going to get a circus with Teddy. As good of a trade destination as I think Tampa Bay is, and I think the Saints match up real well with Teddy, my favorite trade destination for him would be the Denver Broncos. I understand the Broncos have Case Keenum, but which Case Keenum are they getting? Are the Broncos getting a Case Keenum we knew with the Texans and Rams his first four years in the league? Or the Broncos going to get last year's version of Case Keenum, the one who helped take the Vikings to the NFC Championship game. In essence, the Broncos signed Case Keenum to a two-year, $36 million contract just to find out. But what if Case is a bust? Then what are you going to do if you're the Broncos? Are you going to turn to Paxton Lynch? I think John Elway knows by now that Paxton Lynch is not good enough to be an NFL quarterback, and I think he accepts the fact that Paxton Lynch is a wasted first-round pick. Their only other option is to uh, find somebody in free agency next year if Case Keenum doesn't work out. And if he does work out, you really you only have to spend $6 million on Teddy Bridgewater, and he's a free agent after this year. The only thing you have to lose is a third- or fourth-round pick. I think that would be worth it because... 
The Broncos are not a bad football team. A lot of people are overlooking the Denver Broncos, but even though their defense may be on the downslide, it should still remain a top 10 unit this season. And if they can get some consistent play from their offense, it does not have to be lights out. But if they can get some consistent play from the offense, they could fight for a playoff spot. And if Case Keenum gets hurt or falls flat on his face, his old teammate from Minnesota could be there to pick up the pieces. Now, a quick recap of my playoff seed predictions from the last two weeks. In the AFC, starting with the one seed, I have New England Patriots. Off Brian. San Diego Chargers at number two, Pittsburgh at number three, Houston at number four, and the Jaguars and the Raiders taking the fifth and sixth seeds. First round playoff matches for the AFC. I have pit the Jaguars at Texans and Oakland Raiders at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Over in the NFC, I have the Falcons at one, Eagles taking the two, Vikings at three, Rams with the four, and the Saints and Packers grabbing the wildcard spots. NFC wildcard weekend will send the Packers to Minnesota to take on the Vikings and the Rams hosting the New Orleans Saints. But I'm going to start over in the AFC. Oakland at Pittsburgh. To me, this one's fairly easy to pick. I'm going to go with the home team, the proven team, the Pittsburgh Steelers. I reluctantly took Oakland to grab the sixth spot over other worthy teams like Tennessee, Denver, Indianapolis. So obviously I'm not that confident in the Raiders. There are a few teams in the league that I feel confident in picking against the Steelers in Pittsburgh come playoff time. Uh, Pittsburgh's going to move on to the divisional round and will travel to either face New England or San Diego. That matchup will depend on who wins the third battle of the year between the Houston Texans and the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm going to have to go with the Jags here. They have a dominant defense better than last year. They have unfinished business from last season. And I think Houston, they should be thankful that they made it this far. And that means the Chargers will play host to the Steelers. This one's a little bit tough. I typically base my predictions on team improvement and winnable games in the regular season. The Chargers do have a lot of winnable games on the road to the playoffs, including one game at the Steelers. And even if they lose that game, I'm going to take them to defeat the Steelers at home in a shootout in the divisional round. Both teams, uh, both offenses, I should say, are extremely tough to stop, but I do trust the Chargers' defense at home to make one or two more stops than the Steelers, and that's ultimately going to send the Chargers to the AFC Championship game against the Patriots. <laughs> a rematch of last year's AFC title game will take place around earlier this year with the Patriots getting the edge over Jacksonville once again. Predicting anybody to defeat a rested Patriots team after a playoff bye week is really just a bold prediction. It's not something you can count on happening and you're just trying to make yourself sound smart so that if the impossible does happen, you could say, I told you so. Believe me, I've been there. I've done the exact same thing. I'm going to do it again in a couple of minutes, but I'm not doing it against the Patriots. And that basically leads us to the AFC Championship game. Chargers at Patriots, number one versus number two. I generally hate predicting ones and twos to play each other in a conference title game because it's too predictable. Nothing ever seems to go according to the standings, and there's always an injury wrench thrown into the equation somewhere. But here we are, and that's really the only, there's really only one logical pick here. And on the count of three, I want everyone to say it in unison with me. One, two, three, the Patriots. 
You said it with me, didn't you? I really hope you did. That's right, Brian from Jersey. I'll never stop trolling your Even if you did kill yourself, as I suggested you do last week, which is really the only logical thing you can do with your life. On to the NFC. We've got the Packers traveling to Minnesota to take on the Vikings and the Rams hosting the Saints. Starting with the third game of the year between bitter NFC North rivals, I'm going with the Vikings. If Rodgers can stay healthy all year and lead this Packers team to the playoffs, they're going to get bounced out in the first game. The Vikings are the better team in all aspects except quarterback. But give me the better team at home, and maybe, just maybe, the Packers will realize there's a new king in the NFC North, and they'll do something to start building a roster to help old poor number 12 out. Now, out of every predicted game for wildcard weekend, to me this one is the most intriguing. The Rams actually play the Saints in Week 9, so we'll have a preview then of what we're going to see in wildcard round. It's not a primetime game, but it should be. We're talking first ballot Hall of Famer Drew Brees versus a potential MVP candidate in Jared Goff. Both teams are considered Super Bowl contenders this year, and I don't know. I suppose I'll go with the Saints because the Rams do worry me. They're extremely overhyped, and I don't really trust it. There's really nothing wrong with going with first ballot Hall of Famer over a young kid. So that means we have... The Vikings traveling to Philly for a second straight year, and the Saints playing the heated rival Atlanta Falcons in the NFC Divisional Round. Uh, The rematch of the NFC Championship game will take place around earlier this time, and I'm thinking it'll be a little more competitive than last year. However, the outcome will remain the same. I have the Eagles defeating the Vikings once again, uh, and it's going to give the internet and meme lords alike platform to absolutely destroy the Vikings for signing Kirk Cousins to such a a massive contract, but not being able to get as far as they did the previous year. But with at least two more seasons in the Kirk Cousins era, a young defensive core intact, they could build off this loss and be headed for a prime run at the Super Bowl the following year. You know, for a team with high expectations of themselves and everyone, the media, fans, anybody, everybody has high expectations for the Vikings, they're not going to reach their goal this year. Uh, But I do think the season overall will be considered a success. When you bring in a brand new quarterback and coach, not to mention overcoming early season adversity when they lost their offensive line coach when he tragically passed away over summer. As for the Eagles, they're the same team but better. Carson Wentz. He's not going to get injured this time around, and he'll, t- he'll be able to take his team one step closer to being the first team since New England Patriots to repeat as world champions. The Falcons are going to play host to the New Orleans Saints, and that's going to be fun to watch. It's always fun watching division rivals battle it out for a third time in the postseason. While Drew Brees is looking to make one more run at some hardware before he hangs up his cleats, the Atlanta Falcons are looking to avenge they're still looking to avenge their heartbreaking loss in Super Bowl 51. I know it's a little goofy to think about, but man, what a difference a couple of plays make. How different would the end of last season look if Marcus Williams just made a traditional tackle on Stephon Diggs? The Saints would play in the NFC title game. And in the same weekend, same round, what would have happened if Julio Jones doesn't drop that touchdown catch against the Eagles? Well, the Falcons would have won that game, and they would have met the Saints in the NFC title game. I know we can wonder all we want, but it doesn't matter. 
now we get the matchup we should have had last year only in the divisional round. And I'm going to have to go with the road team, New Orleans, to upset the number one seed at home in a tight battle. Uh, We already talked about how the Saints defense is improved. It's getting better. And the team is led by an all-time great. So it's now or never for Drew Brees. And I think he strikes the arrow through the heart of Atlanta, sending the Falcons home in the divisional round for a second year in a row. So the conference title game will pit the number five seed New Orleans Saints traveling to take on number two seeded Philadelphia. And for a dome team like New Orleans that plays in the cold not very often, to me it's a recipe for disaster. Uh, Taking a quick glance at history, it shows me that Drew Brees, he plays fairly well in cold weather. Uh, Much better than you'd expect, but as a team, they're average. You win some, you lose some. That's how they are in the cold, but... They're winning this game, and the Saints will be headed to Atlanta to play in the Super Bowl. To me, this is one of those bold predictions that I mentioned earlier. I don't really have any logic behind this pick other than I don't trust defending champions most of the time to make the Super Bowl two years in a row, much less win the thing. So that brings us to Super Bowl in Atlanta in uh, February. There's always been two quarterback matchups that we've always wanted to see in the Super Bowl. One is Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers, and the other one we'll get to see this year in Tom Brady versus Drew Brees. And to be honest, I don't care who wins this game. I grew up in the Chicagoland area, and as we all know, Chicago will never get a chance to host a Super Bowl. So I've never had the opportunity to go. Now that I live about 15 minutes from Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta... I'm not saying I'm going to drop thousands to go to the game, but I will be down there. I will be tailgating. I will be partying. And all I can hope for is a classic game that comes down to the wire. I know you're all expecting me to pick the Patriots to win this game, and that's exactly what I'm not going to do. I'm picking the Saints to win the big game, and that means I'm going to go to New Orleans because that's another party I want to be involved in. Even if I don't care for the Saints, New Orleans, the city is awesome, and any chance I get to go there... I'm going to go. So that's a wrap on my playoff predictions. Drop me a line on social media. Let me know who you think or who you want to play in Super Bowl 53 in Atlanta. And if you want to come and party with me, let's go. I'm all about it. I uh, I love making predictions because I know it doesn't really mean anything. These predictions, they might look silly come February because so much can happen between now and then. But it's fun to do. But do you know what's not fun to do? It's not fun to watch football and become paranoid that a referee is going to throw a flag because of a stupid rule and it costs your team a game. That's not fun. And that's why I'm doing a complete 180 right now. I'm going to go from something really fun to do to something I don't want to do. And that's complain. The talk of the weekend was how these games were officiated. Not that they were officiated poorly, because these poor guys are just doing their jobs. And I think for the most part, they do them pretty well. They have to abide by the NFL official rulebook. But the game between the Jaguars and the Vikings, that game featured 20 penalties, with 13 of them being called on Jacksonville for 140 yards, and the Vikings were penalized seven times for 60 yards. If you go to join my league's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram page, you can see a video of the penalty flag thrown as linebacker Antoine Williams was flagged for sacking the Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback. He tackled him. He literally, he just tackled him. You can literally get flagged for tackling a quarterback. That's where we're at right now. These guys are not allowed to tackle the way they learned to tackle in peewee football. 
I'm all for protecting the quarterbacks. They're the superstars. They're the ones whose jerseys you'll be buying this year for little Tony or Jimmy this Christmas. Well, in this day and age, you'll be buying them for Tucker and Todd. Rest in peace, George Carlin. But it's a business. I get that. When you throw a flag for a perfectly legal textbook tackle, we have a problem. We've got to draw the line somewhere. I'm going to step away real quick, but when I come back, I'm going to tell you about my genius ideas to fix this broken product. And while I'm gone, I expect each and every one of you to go like Join My League on Facebook, follow on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube. How are we going to fix this broken game that, for all we complain about, we'll never stop watching? Well, here's my idea number one. Get tackling for dummies. Learn what a tackle, a football tackle, actually is. And once you educate yourself, alter or eliminate the helmet rule, the Aaron Rodgers rule as you see fit. Anthony Barr rule, whatever you want to call it. You know, the players will be the first to admit, and some have been quoted as saying they prefer to be hit high rather than low. Hit them in the head, ring their bell, they can recover in a reasonable amount of time from that. But you hit them in the knees, take that ACL, and you're looking at possible career-threatening injuries. But the NFL already eliminated headshots and shots to the knee area. So what's left? The middle of the body. How do you aim for the middle of the body? With your chest? With your elbow? With your butt? You lower your head. Again, learn. Education is key. So idea number one for the NFL is to just learn. And idea number two, I could see it in my head, and I kind of like it. Uh, Week one, Sunday night football. Bears, Packers, national audience, have a flag party. Get flag happy. Let me create a new saying for NFL officials. When in doubt, the flag comes out. Get it out of your system. Make it so that the field at Lambeau is a sea of yellow cloth. And it'll look awesome, too, since green and yellow are the Packers' colors. But you know what else it'll do? It's going to destroy a perfectly good football game. And that way, you'll have a film of the game you just destroyed. You can go back, watch the film, and break down every single play where a flag was thrown. Break down every single tackle, get that copy of Tackling for Dummies, and learn what a tackle actually is so that when you hit the field the following week, you have an idea of how to implement a rule that the NFL insists on having for player safety, even though it's ruining the game. At some point, the NFL will ruin the game completely, and they're not going to have any players to protect. So this needs some figuring out ASAP. Any and all ideas should be taken seriously and seriously considered, no matter how ludicrous the ideas actually are. Um, So a quick recap. Idea number one, educate and study. Idea two, my preferred scenario, ruin a game first, then learn. The bottom line is... Realize what it takes for these players to make a tackle before you implement a rule that goes against physics. It goes against physics! And once you do that, you would realize how stupid these rules actually are, get rid of them, and hashtag make football violent again. We love the violence. We love the violence in football. football. It's one of the reasons we watch. And what was better than seeing a receiver run a route across the middle of the field only to be met by Troy Palomalo? Nothing was better than that. I miss it, but I get it. It needs to be safer, but only because the NFL doesn't want to get sued again. 
Then again, keep doing what you're doing, NFL, and Sarcastaball will be a real thing and not just an episode of a cartoon show on television. You know what? As, as long as there'd be fantasy Sarcastaball, I think a lot of people might get behind it and ratings might not be as bad as you probably think they would be. I know I'd watch because I play fantasy sports. And as much as I hate fantasy sports, I still play it. They do make things more interesting. I played fantasy golf last week on DraftKings just so I had a reason to root for Tiger Woods and Brooks Kepka. I've had a lot of people reach out and ask me when I'm going to touch on fantasy sports or fantasy football. Uh, well, the wait is over. You don't have to wait any longer. I do have one sleeper, at, uh, sleeper player at each position that I think could help you win your fantasy draft. Uh, I'm going to start with quarterback and running back sleepers. And because I'm getting a little short on time, I'm going to give you my wide receiver and tight end sleepers next week. You're just going to have to deal with it. But I'm going to give you that next week along with a fantasy football focused episode, draft strategies, other sleepers, potentials, busts, and a lot more. Uh, that's going to be part of next week's show. But for now, and it's frustrating that I even have to put this guy on my sleeper list. Philip Rivers is my quarterback sleeper. Uh, ESPN has Philip Rivers listed as the 14th best quarterback, which is basically a backup. Ahead of him are guys like Deshaun Watson, who we all know is coming off an ACL, Andrew Luck, who hasn't played football in two years, and Patrick Mahomes, who all we really know about Patrick Mahomes is that he has arm strength comparable to Brett Favre. He has a ton of potential, and the Chiefs thought enough of him to move on from the productive Alex Smith. And Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo, who has thrown 12 touchdowns to five interceptions his whole career. That's insane that those guys rank higher on a fantasy quarterback scale than uh, Phillip Rivers. I don't know where they come up with these numbers. Phillip has averaged 4,500 yards thrown and 30 touchdowns the last three years. And I know his interception numbers are a little higher than you'd want them to be, but in fantasy football, touchdowns outweigh interceptions by a large margin. If you're throwing touchdowns, a lot of them, that's all I care about. How many touchdowns can we realistically expect from Patrick Mahomes in his first full year of starting? I don't think Phillip Rivers is an auto start, but if you play him against the right defenses, he can help you win, and he will help you win a couple of uh, games. And as far as running backs go, I'm getting real short on time, so I'm making this quick. I'm going to go with Detroit rookie running back Carryon Johnson. Uh, the Lions do have a crowded backfield with Theo Riddick, Amir Abdullah, and recently signing LeGarrette Blunt. Riddick and Abdullah, they cannot be counted on to lead the running game, and uh, LeGarrette Blunt is 31 years old, so I don't really believe he'll be able to handle the volume of a feature running back. The Lions moved up to take former Auburn star Carryon Johnson in the second round, so they obviously see something in him, and in a PPR league, he has added value as a receiver in the passing first offense. Uh, Blunt will get a lot of the goal line work and third down carries and all that stuff, but as we saw in Detroit's first preseason game, Johnson has a lot of potential, and it might not be right away, but at some point this season, I do expect him to take over as feature back, and maybe, hopefully, that'll give the Lions great production at running back, the kind of production that they've been searching for since Barry Sanders retired. And uh, there you have it. Uh, there are hundreds of and thousands of sports-related podcasts out there. So I'd like to thank you for listening today. Here's to hoping you return next Wednesday for episode number four. I'll be breaking down the all-important third week of preseason action. That's when most of the starters play at least in the halftime, sometimes even into the third quarter. 
Uh, there will not be an episode the following week on the 5th of September, or at the very least, it won't be on time. I will be way up north in Wisconsin on vacation, and I've been told that the service up there is horrendous. So make sure you tune in next, when, uh, next Wednesday for a quick rundown of week one important picks, betting lines, and of course, any requests for anything you'd like me to touch on, any questions you'd like answered, you can hit me up on the big social media three, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you so much. Have a good week. Adios, chumps.